It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. My name is Will Prostenreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at R underscore O-M-D. And today we are joined by a special guest, Aaron Goldstone of Orlando Pinstripe Post is here to talk all things magic, both previous and future. Aaron, how's your summer been? Excellent, Philip. Good to talk to you again. Um, I think the last time we were in communication, it was your live uh, Google Hangout um, lottery show. And so, you know, um, had my summer vacation. I, I teach teach high school. Uh, the vacation kind of went by in the blink of an eye. And now I'm back and I'm back teaching. And, you know, the fall brings football um, back, and so I'm enjoying watching my UCF nights, and, and I also, you know, realize that basketball just a few weeks away is just around the corner, so it's exciting times. Yeah, we cannot wait for basketball to get back. Just three more weeks until our national nightmare is over and training camp will start up and less than a month now until the preseason begins, and, and if you can't get excited about being 0-0, zero and zero, I, I really can't help you. Um, but I did want to bring you on here, not to talk about the magic quite yet. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about a list that you're putting together for Orlando Pinstripe Post to help celebrate the 30th anniversary of the team, the 30 best players in Orlando Magic history. Your full list is not out yet, although the, I think the top 11 through 30 are out, if I'm not mistaken, at, at, at least at the time of this recording. This has ever mm-hmm. been content, so you could go back and listen to this anytime. Um, but... Not to toot our own horn and not to one-up you here, but Orlando Magic Daily did this. Did uh, tried to to rank the top twenty-five players in Magic history about two years ago now. Uh, so we thought this might be a good time to, to compare lists, and and I think the the best place to really start, of course, is at the top, where I think we're all in agreement that Anthony Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Tracy McGrady, Dwight Howard are the Mount Rushmore, are the top four guys in magic history. I guess the question I have for you, it's a question that, that I've wrestled with plenty of times as well. How do you differentiate these great players? Um, yeah, I, I agree. Those four are, um, you know, for sure the, the Mount Rushmore Orlando magic players, you know, I may take a couple liberties of where I rank those four that might be a little bit of dif- different than, than, than others, but you know, there's no one you could really justify putting ahead of, of McGrady Hardaway you know, Shaq and Dwight, um, you know, McGrady with all his individual accomplishments and scoring titles and, and, you know, his teams he played for didn't have success like the other three, but, you know, you've got, you've got Hardaway who is kind of like the folklore Orlando player, the, the, the prototypical, what if kind of guy that, that, um, you know, if his window didn't close so quickly, he would have been, you know, right up there as one of the all time greats. I mean, at his peak, he was just so elite. Um, at a level I'm not sure a lot of newer, younger Magic fans realize. Um, and then Howard and Shaq, the two all-NBA cornerstone, number one 
draft picks. Um, they're they're going to be in the four. And, you know, from about five through through ten, I think, you know, putting them on the totem pole of order, you know, might be debatable. But I think even five through ten, you know, everyone pretty much is in um, agreement of who falls there. But there, there's definitely a separation between those first four and everybody else. Yeah, I mean, absolutely there is. Uh, you know, I think I think really separating those four is, is like you said, a matter of preference. Um, everyone's going to fall um, in, in different camps on that one. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, our, our, the list that, that, that we came up with this year on Orlando Magic Daily, the most popular players in Magic history, quickly became something of a all-time great list. And, and Shaquille O'Neal came out first. I think a lot of Magic fans would say Shaq is number one. Um, I, I, I think an interesting debate to be had maybe today or – or certainly in the future, is where Dwight Howard should fall on the list. Um, I'll admit that that I think our polling and the way that I come came up with our list by polling the Orlando Magic Daily staff writers, um, and, and honestly, even somewhat my opinion, um, that Dwight Howard is the best player in Magic history, both for his longevity and his impact on the floor. Um, you're seeing the, the Dwight Howard debate pop up again now with, with that, that Rudy Gobert question that's hit Twitter. Um Knowing that Dwight Howard's career with the Magic certainly over, but his career isn't fully over, uh, where do you place him? How, how do you assess his impact with the Magic? Does he have a stake to that top spot when a lot of people would probably say it's Shaq? Yeah, I mean, I I think Dwight is is going to again. I haven't you know cemented my 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 last list, but I think he's going to be right there for me at number one I mean you know what may decide ultimately the difference between a Shaq or a Penny or a Howard is just that you know if you look at Dwight Howard's team it was this perfectly crafted system Stan Bingoni system but individually some of those players the Jameer Nelsons the Hito Turkoglu's I mean they were not Good. I mean, they were good players. They were very nice role players. They fit the system. They weren't the type of players like a Penny Hardaway was. Or even, you know, so Shaq could always lean on another literally all-NBA player. And Dwight Howard's second best player was arguably Jameer Nelson or maybe for a year or two Richard Lewis. So I think he shouldered more of the load for better or worse for Orlando. And that's probably going to, um, for me, put him at number one. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an interesting debate that that I think Magic fans will continue to have until the end of time, um, where Dwight Howard fits in this puzzle, especially because Shaq has become such an encompassing encompassing figure. I, I, I have to ask you this, uh, kind of as, as as a point of how you did your polling before. Maybe I explain how uh, how I did my polling two years ago. Um, what impact does statistics play in this debate over, say? impact on the team or or even the stories that we may tell about how this player was when he was with the magic right yeah i'm i'm trying not to i'll try not to get too long-winded but that was that was really difficult you know the magic have had a lot of highs and lows over 30 years and the most difficult part of this i didn't think it was going to be taking on this activity i thought it was going to be you know i had a lot of fun with it but i thought it was going to be rather smooth and you know you're looking at numbers you know if you you just say i'm going to put a top 30 list together. Well, top is not a very specific thing. So I had to figure out, you know, how much statistics am I going to look at versus, um, you know, role on quality teams. I mean, I think the guys like Fournier and Vucevic and Gordon and, and really the magic players in the last five years were the most difficult to gauge because there's been so much losing and I didn't want to totally discard and disregard them because it was bad teams because I wasn't going to be able to come up with 30 people. I mean, the franchise has only been around for 30 years, and I, I wanted to try to find a way to maybe inflate the the importance of maybe role players on good teams, but also not totally disregard and dismiss, um, you know, players that, that served bigger roles on bad teams. I mean, Evan Fournier, Nikola Vucevic, guys like that, you know, if they had different pieces around them, you know, it would be a different story. So you can't disregard their impact even you know in losing seasons so to answer your question I know that was kind of a a (laughs) long-winded answer it it was tough it was it was a weird game I had to play where I had to balance numbers with kind of like you said legacy how many games did they play how many years were they in town stuff like that yeah and it it seems like a much more scientific method than, than the way I did it which was I pulled my staff had them rank their players and kind of combine mm-hmm. those lists, you know, kind of assign a point system 
uh, for their votes and and combine the list that way to, to kind of get a, a I guess a, a crowdsourced view of how play how how people think of players or how how we mm-hmm. rank our players as, as as far as as people who obviously follow and and write about this team. Um, you said a little bit earlier on that kind of even six through ten are kind of obvious guys. I'm not going to make you go reveal your list because obviously it's not published yet, but who in that, that six through 10 group really stands out to you as someone that you, you know, maybe weren't surprised were in that top 10, uh, but you were, you're, you, as you're looking at them a little bit closer, you're surprised, you know, maybe I've underrated that this guy's impact. Obviously these are all players that have made big impacts on the magic, but how, how are you sorting through kind of that, that group? Yeah. I mean, you've got, uh, you've got a couple guys that, you know, make that list because of longevity. You know, Nick Anderson, games, minutes, points-wise, you know, is, is right up there with the all-times because of the amount of years um, he spent in Orlando. Um, but but he was always kind of in Orlando's, you know, glory years and the, the mid-90s, kind of a, a third option on the court, but just really solid player. And the thing with Nick Anderson is he even precedes like those amazing teams in the 90s so you know he was one of the you know the franchise's first draft picks and so he was there for some of the worst years but even in some of those worst years those inaugural teams you know they have kind of a fondness and a memory for some of the old timers so you know he's just a guy that that's played at a high level for the team and been there for a while he's been a great um, ambassador you know in his post career for Orlando so he's there and that's no surprise Um, you know Hito um, for his legacy coming off the bench, serving, you know, a great role, doing a little bit of everything, um, was no surprise that he was there. Uh, Jameer Nelson, you know, for me was very safely in the top 10 and that was somewhat surprising because I I knew Penny clearly was going to be there and I wasn't sure for that second point guard on this list if maybe I was going to go Scott Skiles or Daryl Armstrong or something like that, but, but Jameer very safely was within the top 10 as kind of Dwight's running made and they came into Orlando together in the same draft class. And, you know, he made one all-star team. He was never like some dominant force, but he was a very, very solid Stan Van Gundy system point guard. So I guess to answer your question, I think he is a name that pops off as maybe a, okay, he doesn't come to mind as like one of the all-time magic players, but he really was. Yeah. And I, I, longevity, I think has a lot to do with that too. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, very popular player in Orlando, had the all-star appearance. Um, even though people still debate the decision to play him in the 2009 finals, he was incredible that season. Uh, I don't think people remember just how good he was and how legitimately good he was and how much better he made that Magic team uh, throughout that year. Um, just for a point of reference, uh, two years ago when we did our list, Jameer Nelson came in eighth. Our, uh, I guess, uh, five through ten guys were Hito Turkoglu at five, Nick Anderson at six, Richard Lewis at seven, Jameer Nelson at eight, Dennis Scott at nine, and then Daryl Armstrong at ten. Um, again, this was a few years ago, so maybe that list has changed. There's obviously no new players in there. Um, but but you know, you brought up an interesting point about Nick Anderson and his legacy. Um, you know, I, like you said, he was a player, great role player on those on those championship teams in the nineties. First Magic draft pick of all time ta- uh, uh, in the team's history, um, a guy who you know was a, a potential leading scorer on some of those early expansion teams until Shaq got there. Uh, I guess I, 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 I think one of the big debates among Magic fans remains retiring Nick Anderson's jersey. And obviously, we're talking about a guy that that at least we ranked two years ago as the sixth best player in Magic history. He's clearly a top ten guy, um, but it feels like retiring his jersey is more of a statement of his impact. Uh, on the team and, and and its history, both as a player and, and now as an ambassador, someone who, who who made Orlando a home before Orlando was a place people came to to live. Uh, where do you see Nick Anderson's legacy? Uh, you maybe not so much fitting into your list, but but how do you view Nick Anderson's legacy uh, as Magic history now hits its fourth decade? Well, you know, you just you feel for a guy because. You know, outside of Orlando and outside of, of the fan base and of this organization, you know, the first thing people think of when they, they hear Nick Anderson is, of course, the free throws he missed in game one of the NBA finals. And that's something that he's always going to have to live with and, you know, you know, work to overcome. And that's his NBA legacy. Um, but but he really was, as we know, so much more than that. And there was all sorts of reasons why, you know, 
regardless of those free throws going in or not, you know, that team lost game one and in and two and so on. Um, that was a big part of it, but that that's not Nick Anderson's legacy. You know, he was just a rock and he was dependable and he could spread the floor and he was always one of Orlando's better perimeter players. Um, he was unselfish. You know, a couple games he would just randomly go off for 40, 50 points and other games he'd take back seats to, to 3D or Penny or Shaq. So, I mean, for me, he was just the ultimate role player solid player um when the team was down you could go to him for scoring and when the team was up he was just you know a solid part of that that team concept um i think i don't know about retiring you know his jersey you know that's really not up to us and i don't know what the team has in plans for that but i think his legacy is pretty safe as the guy or maybe one of the two guys just outside of that orlando mount rushmore yeah for sure for for sure i mean i i I think I, I, I mean, this obviously isn't a time to debate maybe the jersey retirement, but I've I've kind of come around to the idea of retiring his jersey just just to make sure the kids understand how important Nick Anderson was to the franchise. I feel like he's going to be a player that you know you know we can make these lists, we can tell everyone how how important Nick Anderson was and how good Nick Anderson was. I feel like he's going to end up being a player that that might get forgotten in history to to, to Magic fans, especially younger Magic fans as as they grow up with with the team now. Mm-hmm. Which which is always a concern of mine. I know a guy like Daryl Armstrong, like he's a guy that that I have to explain to non Magic fans why he's such an important part of Magic history. It's it, it's really these guys that that are just kind of ours. Like no one else, no one else has these players. No, one, I mean these are guys that are not just fan favorites, but but were true impactors uh, on the floor. Um, but obviously, as you as you get past that top ten, as you get past that 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 clear early set of guys. You're starting to get into, like you said, some of the players where how do you judge guys who are you know good stats, bad team guys? Um, how do you judge players kind of in that in those in between years between the Magic's two championship reigns? Um, what stuck out to you in ranking? I've, I've got your list up here, but what stuck out to you in ranking some of those those mid tier guys after the clear cut all time Magic rate guys? What what were you looking for um, in, in ranking some of these players? Yeah, like out of this process, 11 through 20 was was easily the most difficult because you had the obvious people you're going to put at the top. And, you know, I had some people going into this in mind that I put in like 25 to 30. You look at their numbers, they weren't great, but maybe just because of how many years they played with the team or whatever, um, you know, they deserve to be on there. But, but this middle tier group, you just had some really unique situations. You had... I mean, I cheated a little bit. I had to put Daryl Armstrong and Bo Outlaw together at 11 because it just seemed like on my list I wanted them together. They they're so They're like Magic and Bird. They're like Magic and Bird. <laughs> you can't have one without the other. I mean, the Magic exactly. are airing. Our Magic are, are posting old their old ticket videos with Daryl and Bo just running around a neighborhood playing with kids. And it's just like they're, they're just so perfect together. Exactly. And I mean, they played 17 seasons combined in Orlando. So it's not like one season defines them. But when you look back at that, you know, hard and hustle team of the the late nineties, you know, I don't know about you, Bo and Daryl are the first two names that come to mind just because of the way the, the approach that they played, you know, diving for loose balls and doing anything, you know, the team asks. And like, to me, they really, that's just the moniker of hard and hustle, you know, begins and ends, you know, for me with, with Armstrong and outlaw, they're guys that they weren't drafted, you know, they had to kind of claw and scrape to get into the NBA and keep their role. And that was tough because, you know, like Bo Outlaw was the guy I looked at six and six, like 6.6 rebounds, couple assists, couple of, I mean, he did a little bit of everything, but he wouldn't be able, I don't think you'd be able to get away with playing him as a starting power forward in the NBA anymore. Not and a I chance. At some of, not, I looked at some of those lineups. I mean, the Magic went with Outlaw at power forward and Ben Wallace at center for like a decent amount of games. And I just, there's just no way you could do that anymore. You know, so that was another difficult part of this for me was different eras. You know, um, guards in the 90s, you know, were, were asked to do different things than they are today and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, Armstrong and Outlaw are, were definitely up there, but maybe just for me outside of, you know, the top 10 greats. And, and same thing with Scott Skiles. You know, when you want to talk about somebody, you said Orlando has these kind of players that nobody else has. I mean, Skiles wasn't Scott Skiles for any other team but the Magic. I mean, those early teams, the parquet floor and the short shorts and the pinstripes and just the grit and the grind and, you know, 
that was Skiles. I mean, it was very typical for his knees to be bloody and he's diving for the ball and he was just going to do whatever he needed to do to, to like to help the team, um, to help the team win. You know, he was the NBA's most improved player in 91. And obviously he's got that assist, um, record that's going to be really difficult to, to break. And, um, you know, he's outside of the top 10 for me, but still a pretty big part of the legacy of this team. And then of course, coming back to coach the team that maybe didn't help his legacy, but, but that (laughs) that's part of it, you know, that's, that still kind of adds on to his presence with this team. Yeah. And, and of course, noting, noting some of these names, Scott Skiles, 12th on your list that you, that you've just released. He was 11th on the Orlando magic daily list, Bo outlaw, like you said, tied with Daryl Armstrong for 11th. Um, he was 14th on our list. And, and it's, it's interesting looking back at, at these lists and seeing how players fit in just to see, the mix of those kind of gritty role player type guys like a Skiles, like an outlaw uh, and, and seeing them mix in with, with players who were a little bit more prominent. And, and I think there are two players that, that I think are worth talking about in a little bit more detail um, about how difficult it is to rate them. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to do the first one, the first one first, so we can maybe have a longer discussion about the second one, especially with the news that's coming up. Um, Steve Francis and a year and a half, he, I think, very quietly put in some really strong statistical seasons. For, for as many problems as Steve Francis had, especially after losing Catino Mobley to, to the trade, um, he quietly had really an all-star caliber season uh, his first year in Orlando in 2005, um, and then slowly fell out of favor, didn't have as strong a season his second, his second year in Orlando when he was eventually traded to the New York Knicks. But how do you, how do you assess player like Steve Francis who, you know, player like Steve Francis or player even like Reggie Theus who, or Ronnie Cycli even who, you know, there's a lot of these players in Orlando that had one pretty solid year and then got shipped out pretty quickly. Yeah. I had Steve Francis at 20 and, you know, I even kind of prefaced when I was writing that if he would have been in Orlando a little bit longer, you know, he would have clearly been higher on the list. Uh, two seasons, only 123 games. So that's about, you know, a year and a half. And, you know, in that year and a half, you know, he got numbers, 19 points, six and a half assists, five rebounds. His usage was pretty high. The ball (laughs) was in his hands, you know, a lot. And so statistically, he's on a lot of the single season, you know, Orlando, you know, record lists. But, um, you know, like you said, he kind of fell out of favor. And that was right around the time that, the magic drafted Jameer Nelson and you know that was the, the direction Fired in the that same the magic were, were 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 heading in you know um Steve Francis was you know the first point guard in Dwight Howard's you know rookie season and Jameer was coming off the bench but you know Jameer needed more time and Francis was kind of blocking that and it was just it was probably the right move for sure the organization wasn't winning a ton and uh, they turned the keys over to Jameer. But you're right, you know, that, that was difficult. Um, guys like Francis, guys like Ronnie Cycli didn't spend, you know, a lot of time, even like Ryan Anderson, three seasons, you know, he had the one really, really solid run as a starter and the couple other years he was coming off the bench. And so guys like that were tough because their numbers are okay, you know, but they just don't have the the breadth of, of data, like a guy like a, a Vucevic or Fournier or, um, you know, even Alfred Payton or something like that had. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, for for sure. Um, the guy that I think deserves a little bit longer discussion, and, and perhaps mostly because of what week it is, um, Grant Hill. How, how diffi- You ranked him 13th on your list. He ended up all, 15th uh, on our list from two years ago. Okay. How... How do you assess? How do you assess Grant Hill's time in Orlando? Because it, it really felt like two different times. And then I always tell people, when Grant Hill played, he was really good. The problem was he just didn't play. Right. Yeah. Six seasons, but only two hundred games. Um, two of those six seasons, he didn't play at all. So, 
uh, um, you know, that that's that's tough. And maybe I was being a little cute. I put him at 13 because 13's unlucky. And that's really <laughs> – that's what his. Hey, if you can't Orlando be cute was. on this kind of a list, I, I don't know what what you're doing here. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was unlucky for all parties involved. You know, for the Magic, for Grant Hill, and you're right. When he was on the court, I mean, he's still 16 and five, three assists. I mean, he was just such a smart player. And I think his time in Orlando, you know, he had to kind of relearn how to play basketball because he had just he was a shell of himself of who he was with the Pistons. He just didn't have that kind of elusiveness and burst and. Um, you know, he still made an all-star team. He came back in the 2003-04 season, uh, excuse me, the 2004-05 season, and he played just under 70 games. He averaged just under 20 points. So, you know, um, he had kind of reinvented himself. But I, I think it was and really frustrating, mistaken, probably. That, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that 2005 season, that was Dwight's rookie year. Uh, Jameer, Jameer Olsen, obviously, uh, rookie year as well, coming off the bench. Steve Francis was on the team. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken... Grant Hill had a sports hernia surgery late in that season, so nothing related to the ankle. Uh, and that combined with Hito Turkoglu breaking his arm, if I'm not mistaken, late in that season, that's why the Magic missed the playoffs that year. So, I mean, Hill was a very integral part to the team almost making the playoffs a year after trading one of the five best players in the league. Absolutely. Yeah, so he made the All-Star team twice with the Magic, but the first time he was voted in, that was one of the years where he only played like five games or something. So, you know, he really had one All-Star level year with the Magic that he was just great. But um, I think it's probably even more frustrating for Magic fans, even more than the injuries, is that he went on to play through his 40s and he had this reinvention of himself in Phoenix and he played 70 more games for like four or five years in Phoenix after Orlando. So it really was one of those what if I talked about what if with Penny. I mean, Grant Hill truly is kind of one of these one if legends with the magic. Um, what if Grant Hill would have been healthy to go along with McGrady, right? What if um, McGrady and Hill would have been able to stay along with, with what well, I know we probably don't get Dwight Howard because, you know, we're not in the lottery, but what if Tim Duncan signs and stuff like that? So, you know, Grant Hill comes with a lot of what ifs and for better or worse, you know, even with his injuries, he's a big part of, you know, Orlando history. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously uh, six years, I mean, the seven year contract essentially died because of what happened to the magic and Grant Hill, I think in a lot of ways. Um, but obviously this week kind of on a tangent here, uh, this week, Grant Hill getting inducted into the basketball hall of fame. Uh, you said Grant Hill is probably one of the great what ifs, uh, in franchise history for sure. Uh, but, but first off, the question is, does Grant Hill deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? And then the second question is, how should Magic fans feel about that? So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure. So the, the, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, does that include college contributions it, as well? It, like, includes, a- it includes college, international. It's, it's everything. It's, it is a basketball right. Hall of Fame, not a pro basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, so I'm I'm completely you know fine with that. I mean, he he was I think a five time All Star, four time All Star in Detroit through his first five seasons. The man was was elite. You know, he was playing at a very high level. Again, different era of basketball, but just so silky smooth and kind of would lull you to sleep in Detroit. You know, with long strides and was able to get where he wanted on the court and so versatile. And so I think when you combine who he was pre injury in Detroit with one of the more storied college careers, collegiate careers ever at Duke, then then I think for me that's enough. You know, just without getting into all the Orlando stuff, just uh, Duke and Detroit um, combined is, is enough for me, I think. Yeah, I, I, I tend to, to lean that way too. I think, I think it was a no-brainer to put Grant Hill in the Hall of Fame. My, my approach to the Hall of Fame has always been, the Hall of Fame is, is you can't have a player not in the Hall of Fame, who is essential to the story of basketball. And I think throughout the 1990s, again, especially the, the, the Duke years, winning back-to-back national championships, uh, and then at, in Detroit where he was, I mean, I think, I think the best way to describe him to people who didn't watch, uh, watch Grant Hill play live in Detroit, he was a like, smaller, quicker, more agile LeBron James. That, that's, that's who he was. Uh, I mean, I, I think... You can you see I mean LeBron has probably more physicality and and and, and raw power than, than Grant Hill ever did, but their playing styles were very very similar. Hill was a point forward, um, and a do it all forward, in an age where there weren't a lot of those yet. Um, and 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 Hill is 
Hill was putting up numbers that really hadn't been seen since Oscar Robertson and Magic Johnson were around. Uh, and, and if that, I mean, I, I'm getting ready to write this for, for, for London Magic Daily, but signing Grant Hill was always the right decision. He was one of the five best players in the league at the time. And, and I, I think people have forgotten that because of what happened in Orlando. And, and although I think there are still some Magic fans a little bit sour about Grant Hill's departure, even though it wasn't Grant Hill's fault, just like the injuries weren't his fault, I think the Magic and Grant Hill both wanted to kind of split, split, split and, and go their separate ways. Um, but as much as those six years stunk that Hill couldn't get off the bench and, and just couldn't get healthy, he was every he was every bit worth the worth the investment uh, when he was healthy, or, or he was a player that was worth that investment at the time, and and one of the uh, again one of the essential players I think of the 1990s. And you know if he's playing and he's not injured, I mean I know we're kind of doing revisionist history here, but if he's playing, then the Magic probably don't bottom out and have the ability to draft Dwight Howard. And, you know, drafting Dwight Howard helped the Magic get to the NBA Finals. So, you know, it could be a complete different story of this franchise if he's healthy. Sure. And, and knowing that Eastern Conference, maybe a healthy Grant Hill with a Tracy McGrady gets you to the Finals. Or, you know, I, sure. I, I think I think this is the thing a lot of people don't realize. Yes, Tracy McGrady felt like he was coming and, and the Magic made a huge investment in him. But if Grant Hill's there playing and taking the ball from him, maybe McGrady doesn't reach a Hall of Fame or become mm-hmm. the player that he became. So you obviously have to, whenever, when, you know, when a butterfly flaps its wings, it, 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 it can change, it can cause a snowstorm in China. So, so to speak, um, you mentioned it earlier, ranking the current players is extremely difficult, obviously, because their careers are still unfolding. Um, you had Nikola Vucevic, I think as your, as your highest rated current player at number 14, Two years ago, we actually rated him number 12. Maybe that's changed because he hasn't quite produced at that same level. But um, what's, I mean, obviously this is a big year for Nikola Vucevic. It's a contract year. Mohamed Bamba's waiting in the wings. What is Nikola, I mean, maybe it's too early to to, to ask this question, but we're in this scenario, so I'm going to ask it. What's Nikola Vucevic's legacy in, in a Magic uniform? Yeah, that's something, you know, on my podcast, a question that, you know, we raised this summer. That's a question I'm sure that at some point I'll be writing about again. As you said, this is the last year of his contract. And with Mohamed Bamba, you know, in the wings, I mean, it's it's not a given, you know, that the team could bring Vucevic back. Oh, but they, I mean, it, they've, it's, they've, it's, tried, they've tried to find centers to replace Nikola Vucevic, but he does not let go of that starting center spot. Right, exactly. I mean, it's it's pretty safe to assume that this will be be it for Nick. I mean, you know, there's a way they could bring him back, but you know, this is the time to start thinking about what his legacy is. And I'm glad that you said you guys had him ranked 12 because I even thought at 14, I was going to catch a lot of flack. I mean, Vucevic is just such a, a divisive figure with this fan base and, and, you know, the six seasons and 400 plus games he's played with the magic. There's just been so much losing. And, you know, while he's a big part of that, I don't think he necessarily deserves some of the the, the blame that, that comes his way. I mean, he's, again, a part of it. But the guy has, um, in my opinion, improved um, defensively, you know, his reputation and, and what he did, you know, early in his career. He's clearly developed into one of the better passing big men in the league. You know, I think we see it in the locker room and stuff, his professional approach. And, you know, I appreciate just kind of his calm level-headedness. Some people think, you know, he should show more fire. But in this kind of thing where you're doing a list and thinking about his legacy, I mean, the numbers are just overwhelming. Like 223 double-doubles I have down. I mean, he's top 10 in rebounds, offensive rebounds, blocks, um, you know, player efficiency rating, defensive win shares, win shares. I mean, you know, rebounding percentage, field goals, games, minutes. He's all over, you know, the the top 10 all-time Magic leaderboards and and over 20 statistical categories. Um, So so with him, I had to kind of look past some of the losing. Um, And if he was on a team that maybe made the playoffs, you know, or if he was on a team that had shown a ton of improvement – Maybe Vucevic is even higher on this list. I mean, his numbers uh, justify that, but it's the same thing in a sense that that Tobias Harris went through with the Magic, that Oladipo went through. You know, a lot of people around the league outside of Orlando just think these are, are empty stats or empty numbers or good numbers on a bad team. And I think that's a very legitimate, Phil, that's a legitimate question to wonder what 
Vucevic legacy on the Magic is going to be. You know, he could very well go to a, a playoff contending team and, and be a role player and, and carve out a, a very nice, you know, end of his career. Um, but with the Magic, I think he's just going to be, you know, a guy that, that played a lot of games, put up a lot of numbers, um, played a lot of minutes, but but just didn't help the team win, unfortunately. Um, great professional. I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, yeah, obviously, and and and, and I think all everything you said about Vucevic is is really accurate. Um, I, I am curious how history is is going to view him. Um, I think unfairly he, he's going to be the poster child for this era of Magic basketball, which is the worst era in Magic basketball, the longest stretch without a playoff uh, berth, without an All Star appearance, and and Vucevic. For all that he does do well, it, it it always feels like it's not enough, and and I do think that. You know, like like you said, he's so he ranks so high in so many lists in Magic history. We're gonna look, you know, 15 years from now, we're probably gonna, you know, when we gather together for the 45th anniversary or the 50th anniversary, we're gonna look back and see Nikola Vucevic's name on all these lists and be like, who? Yeah, I mean, I think some people will say, who was this guy? Like, what? What? Who was this player? And 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 hopefully he's still around. I think I think he likes Orlando enough that he'll come back. And and I tell people who criticize Nikola Vucevic so much. There, there's to me, there's no one on this team that wants this team to do well more than Nikola Vucevic. I, I think he is really personally invested, and and I think it personally, you know, because I'm around the guy so much and, and I do like him. Uh, I think it, it it sucks that that he is probably not going to be here when things get turned around, and 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 he, I mean, no one does, I think deserves it more, but unfortunately, the realities of the NBA are talent wins. You know, how you fit into the league matters, and. I think the Magic have really asked Vucevic to do more than he probably should for a winning team. And, and while he has played admirably, and I agree, has gotten better every year, is better defensively than people give him credit for, it just feels like it's not enough. And so I, I'm happy when he ranks highly on lists. I mean, 14th, I think, is is good. Uh, he made our, our most popular player list as well that, that Orlando Magic Daily did earlier this summer, which I was very happy with because I, I solicited a lot of fan uh, fan nominations and a lot of fan input into that into that list, and I was afraid that, you know, we're going to put Vucevic pretty high because I, I think Vucevic should be a pretty po- popular player, but he's just someone that, that's going to get a lot of, shoulder a lot of blame when really he's played admirably and done so much, I think, for this team during this, this down time that, you know, when you just isolate his numbers and isolate what he's done, yeah, you, you viewed it within the context of, of the team and, and that docks him a few points, but you still recognize that, yes, he was one of the best players to ever wear a Magic uniform. Um, moving moving on then, I think an interesting guy, um, something that, that I've thought about revisiting now that it's been two years since I did my list, um, and I was, I was interested to see where you put him on your list. Um, two years ago when we made our top 25 list, Aaron Gordon received four votes, the same number as Evan Fournier, which tells you how much people were pretty hyped on, 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 Aaron, on Aaron Gordon a few years ago. You had Gordon number 24 along with Alfred Payton. So Gordon is still climbing lists here. He's got a long way to go. New four-year contract for him. What's it going to take for, for Aaron Gordon to, to rise in this list? And, and, and what do we make of, of his impact on the Magic and on Magic history now that you know it seems like he's going to be a big part of the team, team and its future? Yeah, um, I kind of gave Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier both kind of a, a tip of the cap to maybe place them in a ranking a little bit higher than maybe at this moment where they are right now. But, you know, they're the two pieces on the roster right now that are in the conversation for this list and will also be with the team most likely for at least another season or two. So, where Evan Forney and where Aaron Gordon kind of just outside some of Orlando's all-time leaderboards where they said now, even this upcoming season through next, you know, they, they will be on pace to, to pass a lot of the mainstays that we've already talked about. So this was kind of like a, a maybe, like you said, the 40th or 50th anniversary looking back and, you know, Gordon and Fournier will probably be on these lists. So why not just put them there now as sort of a precursor, um, I had a lot of trouble. I struggled putting Alfred Payton here, but I mean, his numbers just again, because of his role in the minutes and how he got the keys to the proverbial offense right away, his numbers deserve to be on the list. Even if his play 
was maddeningly, you know, inconsistent and then led to a lot of losses. And then I was like, I can't put Alfred Payne on this list and not put Aaron Gordon. They were drafted together, and I just it didn't feel right. So I, I took a little easy way out there. I had Gordon and Payton both at 24. Um, you know, what is it going to take for Gordon to, to move up? Uh, I'm high. I'm high on Aaron Gordon. I'm continuing to, to climb in his NBA career. We just talked uh, on my uh, podcast last episode about who would you take if you were starting a franchise, um, you know, would you take uh, and start a franchise, Aaron Gordon, Mobamba, and Jonathan Isaac, you know, which one if you had to pick one? And I still, I, I'm a believer in Aaron Gordon. Um, I think because his athletic ability, you know, his just world-class NBA athletic ability, I, I prefer over a guy like Jonathan Isaac. And, you know, I think his his skills, you know, his, his dribbling is above average for a big man. His shot fundamentally is fine you know he just needs to get more consistent um i think we both agree he probably needs to reinvent himself as a player maybe he got a little shot happier than it last year and you kind of rein that in um you know the shot selection get back to some of the things he did early in his career the defense and i still if he's going to hit his ceiling i like aaron gordon to hit his ceiling to become a potential all-star um more than than anybody on orlando's current roster yeah, and I, I think I think I'm I'm really high on Aaron Gordon too. Um, you know, I think uh, like I I think we discussed this, and, and I'll echo this again. Um, it, it felt like last year Aaron Gordon was going through the natural growing pains that a star kind of goes through. I mean, I think you know you go back and look at uh, I'm not comparing Aaron Gordon to Kevin Durant, but you go back and look at Kevin Durant's rookie season. He shot worse than forty percent, and and looked like he was just kind of out there doing what he thought a star had to do. And, and so I think it's a process that Gordon had to learn. And, and, and so some of the things and some of the inconsistencies and inefficiencies that we saw last year were, were him learning how to play this role that, that it seems like the Magic are going to put on him, especially since Orlando doesn't have a main creator slash scorer on the team now. Um, I think it's interesting what you said about Alfred Payton. Um, he wasn't on our list two years ago. Um, I imagine, like thinking back on it, yeah, some of the statistics. I, I think that would have to change. Um, you know, I, I felt like um, there are a lot. I mean, and I only did a list of twenty-five players, so maybe he makes the cut at thirty. He certainly would make the cut at thirty. Um, but it, it's definitely an interesting thing, to, especially because things are so fresh. Like I think on our list two years ago, Tobias Harris came in at twenty-third. That's probably a little overrated because the, the polling system that I used, everyone was probably still a little upset that the Magic let Tobias Harris go in a trade. Victor Oladipo came in at 19th. I, I kind of got get the feeling that if I were to pull this again, those two players would probably move down a little bit. And so I, I think in our polling two years ago, there's certainly a little bit of recency bias as far as rating players, especially recently departed players. Um, but the last thing I want to get to uh, about, about the list is how did you go about rating and analyzing some of the players on the expansion team. Because because I, I like to consider myself a bit of a Magic historian. I know what happened in those early pre-Shack years. Um, but at the same time, it feels like those are the hardest games and the hardest players to access and, and really understand what they did with the Magic. Because A, so many of them were only with the team for one year. Reggie Theus was the leading scorer that first year, was only with the team one year. Um, Terry Catlich, Jerry Reynolds, Otis Smith, had good seasons with the Magic, but quickly fell off and, and quickly got kind of pushed to the side. Um, you know, aside from Scott Skiles and Nick Anderson and, and Dennis Scott, who was drafted the second year the Magic existed, how did you go about kind of breaking down and analyzing some of those so those expansion year players and giving them maybe their due in this list? Yeah, right. So, I mean, I remember even the the inaugural you know expansion year going to to some of those games i mean i was i was also six years old so yeah. the way that i viewed basketball back then was a little bit different than now you know i wouldn't have been able to tell you then who the players were but i i knew who stuff was and i knew about all the fireworks and everything so you know i i kind of re, i kind of analyzed them maybe through a different lens than than some of the the teams that i followed more closely in the more modern era um you know, it was, it was such a different game. You know, the pace. You look at some of the shooting percentages of these guys, and you know, I, I included Sam Vincent. Um, he was and Sam Vincent, of course. Forgot about him. <laughs> he was recognized by the organization in you know their 25th anniversary season um, on you know one of their their few legends nights. So he was on my list at 26. 
um, you know, just solid 10 points, five assists. He was pretty much the, the team's first, you know, starting point guard from the expansion era. Um, I included uh, Jerry Reynolds, like you mentioned, um, 13 points, three assists. You know, these guys in the late 80s, early 90s, there's just the premium on outside shooting and space in the floor. It just wasn't there, you know. You, even like Brian Shaw, like role players like that, like Donald Royal, role players in the mid nineties, there, 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 there just was no existent, you know, outside game. These guys would would take five or ten three pointers like a season, you know, not a, a night. So we're talking about a completely different era, and with guards more than anything, you know, with different eras, different pace, it was pretty tough. Um, I did include Reynolds. I did include, like you said, Terry Catledge. Um, at 15, he was kind of my highest older guy um, outside of, of Scott Skiles and Nick Anderson. You know, he was just your prototypical um, NBA power forward in the, the, the early 90s. Like, he never ventured out of the paint. He scored, he rebounded, and, um, you know, he got to the free throw line. And he was just kind of, uh, the cat was kind of uh, the Orlando's first kind of folklore figure. Um, a lot of highlight dunks and stuff, but... You know, just like Vucevic, just like Gordon. I mean, a lot of losses early on, and he unfortunately wasn't able to hold on long enough to see the team turn it around like a, a Jeff Turner did and like a, like a Nick Anderson did. Yeah, and then Jeff Turner, of course, sneaking into your list at number 30. I'm sure he will appreciate that. <laughs> this is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, since I have you here for, to close the show out, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about the Magic offseason. Like you said, way back at the beginning of the show, uh, we haven't talked much since the draft lottery, so we haven't talked a lot. I think we were both at the draft um, so we haven't talked much about Muhammad Bamba, what he brings to the team, uh, about the Magic Summer League, about the Magic's offseason moves. Um, before we dive more deeply into that discussion, what what do you make of the Magic Summer? Uh, uh, obviously, uh, obviously, not a lot of action from this team. But 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 was this uh, summer the Magic needed, or or or, or how, what do we make of, of what we saw from the Magic this offseason? Yeah, I mean, you know, their their big splash, their big moment was the draft. And I think with their, their cap flexibility the way it was, I mean, I don't think anyone that followed the team closely was going to expect anything major. Um, you know, so the draft was a, their big moment to improve the roster. And I think they were pretty fortunate to have a, a guy like Muhammad Bamba fall to them. You know, as much as we know, uh, John Hammond and Jeff Weltman uh, value characters and, you know, who the player is as a person more than anything, you know, that they, they, they got very fortunate to, to be able, the organization to have Bomba fall to them. He was just from the moment he came to town and from that press conference, I mean, he just takes over the room and he's just so encompassing and, and everybody is just kind of drawn to his personality, you know, and, and he's got a lot of work to do with his body. And, you know, I think the magic are going to go slow with him. But, you know, all the off-court stuff, the way he handles the, 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 the media and his presence in the community, and even, I'm sure, the relationships he builds with his teammates and coaches, I mean, he's going to be the real deal. And again, at six, you know, that that was a great get by the Magic. Um, in the second round, you know, was a little underwhelming for the, for, you know, the second, third, fourth year in a row. You know, the Magic haven't had a great track record lately with, with finding value in the second round. Um, I, I like Melvin Frazier um, as a player. I just think he is very similar to the direction they went last year with Wes Awundu. Um, You know, there was a run on point guards in the second round right before 
Melvin Frazier. So, you know, I, I, I have my hopes that Melvin Frazier develops. I think he'll spend a lot of time in the, the G League. Um, but, you know, outside of the draft, you know, my main qualm, I guess, is that the Magic did not use the mid-level exception. You know, it was there for them. Uh, obviously, a lot of people thought Isaiah Thomas was going to sign. Um, he did not. That would have been, I think, a good situation for, for both parties involved. It didn't work out, but you know, either way, uh, I do think the Magic should have used the mid-level to sign some veteran. You know, even if it was just for a year, you know, those kind of players can be flipped. Those kind of contracts can be flipped and traded fairly easy at the deadline to a contending team, and you could have turned that into an asset. And instead, they just kind of sat on it. You know, so that was the only really flexibility the team had was to use about six or seven million of that mid-level. Um, they brought in Isaiah, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Briscoe, who's going to be kind of a project, and, you know, we'll see. But, I mean, other than that, you know, uh, the Jarrell Martin trade, I think, well, was pretty solid to flip Dakari Johnson, uh, to flip Purvis to Johnson to, to Jarrell Martin. You know, he'll be like an eighth or ninth man in the rotation, but I, I, that's still pretty solid. So I would give the summer maybe a B, a B-plus, very limited, you know, ability to do much to improve the team. Um, but but I like some of the additions. Just what I like the mid level exception to be used. Yeah, I think I think that's about how I would assess it too. Um, and the Magic obviously couldn't do very much um, with with their cap room. And I think the biggest goal for the Magic uh, this this summer was to maintain whatever cap flexibility they had moving forward. They, I mean, outside of signing Aaron Gordon, which even that even that move, they they maintain cap flexibility by front loading that contract so much. Um, I, I think it was absolutely key that the Magic not tie themselves up in the future so that, you know, if, say, we exist, uh, if, say, we live in the universe where the Magic do make the playoffs this year, they can move quickly to add players in free agency to make the team even better if, if that's the time to strike. Um, Jeff Waltman and John Hammond have shown that they're going to be very patient. Well, I agree with you, going after Isaiah Thomas made a lot of sense for both parties because it would have given the Magic... A, a starting point guard, and B, a, a, a true scorer who can kind of lead and, and lead the offense and put everyone in the right spot. If that isn't the direction the Magic want to go, if, if he doesn't quite fit the, whole, the the long-term vision of the team, it kind of made sense to let him go uh, or to not pursue that any further than they did, perhaps. Um, it, it sounded like they kicked the tires on it, um, but mm-hmm. didn't get very far or, or opted not to go down that road at the end of the day. Um, but yes, I, I think... The biggest complaint I think we can have about Jeff Waltman and John Hammond through two years is they don't always maximize their assets. Um, you know, I'm going back to using the 25th to trading the 25th pick uh, in the first round last season, uh, essentially for nothing. They're not going to get. They're going to get. A, they got a first round pick that's not going to convey. Um, and, and then again, using I like Melvin Frazier a lot too, but using it on a player that's very similar to a guy they drafted last year. Sitting on the mid-level exception again, uh, these are opportunities that I think the Magic missed to, to make their team better. And, and honestly, I think um, on, on your pro, on your podcast, uh, Preston Ellis asked a really good question: Who is the leader of this team right now? There's there's not the same mm-hmm. kind of veteran presence that we saw last year. Now you might be saying, well, what good did what good did that do last year? But I think you know this is still kind of a team that's in a fragile state. You know they they have let a lot of Losses pile up, uh, 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 pile up on them, and, and they do tend to spiral a little bit. So I, I would have liked, maybe liked to see an impact veteran come onto the team. Uh, you know, even a guy like Isaiah Thomas, I think, would have fit that bill because he's a guy that's going to take over a game and say, "We're not losing this game. Follow me." And, and I think that's still something the Magic are missing. That is, if you think winning is the goal this year, which maybe it's not. And the uh, the Biombo trade, you know, you can't say necessarily they unloaded his contract on anyone because Mozgov's is 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 just as as bad. But you know, they were able to get basically a year a uh, year's look at uh, Jerry and Grant, which you know, again, why not? Um, DJ yeah. Augustine had a really nice year last year. Um, all things considering, you know, he had a career year shooting the basketball and he played really admirably after Payton was traded, but. You know, I kind of expect DJ to come back down to earth a little bit. Like, I mean, he shot over forty percent. He's, he's never had three. He's never had two good seasons back to back in his career. And and so adding a concerning. little bit of, of depth there. You know, Jaron Grant. You know, he may or may not be. I mean, he's a good size 
you know, kid, strong, big Length. guard. And, and I know um, Steve Clifford will be really excited about, you know, how versatile he could probably, I prefer him as a point guard, but at least defensively, you know, you could play him a little bit at the two as well. But, you know, it's just basically a free look. It's a similar situation to, you know, when Denver, uh, you know, traded uh, Evan Fournier to the Magic for, for Aaron Aflalo. Uh, you know, the, the Magic got a year or two of a look at Fournier before they decided if they wanted to bring him back or, or let him go. So similar situation with Jaron Grant um, going into the draft, you know, his draft year, I really liked him as kind of a, a late round pick, um, you know, for the Magic. So he obviously is the the nephew of Horace Grant, and and you know, coming back the 30th anniversary season, that's kind of a cool little story. That'd be really nice if he broke out the goggles, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, so if, if on their throwback nights, if Jerrion Grant wears goggles, um, I think the internet will break um, just just to see amazing. the blue pinstripes uh, and, and and NBA. If you're listening to this and Jerry and Grant decides to bring the goggles back just for the blue pinstripe uniforms, just for the classic edition nights, please let him switch his number to 54 just for one night. Like, just, just, just be cool about it. Like, like don't find him or anything. Just, just be cool about it. We can even say he lost his jersey and the backup jersey just happens to be number 54. Mm-hmm. But, 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 you know, we, we, we like our nostalgia. We want our nostalgia. Um, last question, I guess, uh, here then. The 2019 Orlando Magic season is a success if? Hmm. Well, you know, I do think Steve Clifford is going to play uh, his veterans, you know, lean on his veterans early in the season. You're going to play it out like any professional team would for a couple months. And end of December, beginning of January, calendar turns. You reassess where the team is at. You know, if they are still in contention, which is not – Likely, but not completely, you know, out of the the, the question, um, you know, in a weaker Eastern Conference. If, if you're still in it, you know, you, you push for that first playoff berth. But if not, you know, success will just be um, acclimating Mo Bamba and essentially Jonathan Isaac, too. You know, this will kind of be last year was his redshirt year. This will really be like a second rookie season. Getting Isaac and Bamba acclimated to the NBA, continuing to build their bodies and you know, seeing them on the floor with Aaron Gordon um, in a larger role, you know, that's just in itself, I think, um, finding some continuity and really playing for, for 2019, 2020, you know, I think that's a successful season, knowing who you are as a team. You know, if you're there, compete. You know, if you're not, look to move some of those veterans and get your young guys on the floor as much as you can in February, March, April and really set yourself up, you know, in the best way possible to, to compete and to win. Um, in 2019, 2020, you'll have a little bit more cap flexibility. You'll have maybe one last, hopefully, draft pick. And uh, moving forward, I think the team will be really ready to go by then. Yeah, I think that's that's generally what I think a successful season looks like, uh, that the Magic begin to transition uh, kind of control over the team to the new guys, um, that it's that it's Aaron mm-hmm. Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, and Muhammad Bamba who are clearly stepping to the fore or, or looking like they can step to the fore uh, and be a, a team to, to build around. Um, Aaron, it's been great talking to you about Magic history, uh, about some of the best players in Magic history, uh, as well as prepping for this upcoming season. Uh, where can everyone find you on the, on the interwebs? Yep, so uh, Orlando Pinstripe Post, it's uh, SB Nation, uh, fan blog, Orlando Pinstripe Post, and I am on Twitter at Aaron Goldstone, um, A-A-R-O-N Goldstone, Uh, so that'd be great. Yeah, give me a follow and you'll either see some of my articles about the magic or maybe you'll see some pictures of my daughters as they start to sprout up. Uh, My daughter's just starting soccer, uh, her first practice is Thursday, so I'm really excited about that. I'm excited I'm not coaching because I don't know how to coach girls (laughs) or six-year-olds or anything like that, but yeah, and, and and I'm just getting a news alert now that that they have been signed by Orlando City, who is desperate for goal scoring of any kind <laughs> at this moment. So congratulations, Aaron, on, on on having on having your daughters make the Lions already. Um, also, <laughs> be sure to check out uh, the great podcast that Orlando Pinstripe Post does. Um, do you believe in magic? Uh, they do mm-hmm. a fantastic job. Like I said, they just did an episode where they talked about um, who is the Magic's new leader. I think that's that's definitely an interesting discussion um, to have and to consider now as we uh, get closer and closer to training camp. 
Um, of course, you can follow this podcast, Locked On Magic, on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Magic. As well, like, like us on Facebook at Locked On Magic. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Philip R underscore OMB. And for the latest on the Orlando Magic, in addition to checking out Orlando Pinstripe Post, be sure to check out OrlandoMagicDaily.com. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic and for Aaron Goldstone. This has been Philip Rossman-Reich. We'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.